Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. On this episode of the Front Office Podcast, the homie Sean G joins us again. We're going to talk some more NBA bubble playoff. We're going to talk about some brewing beef in the NBA, a coaching hire, and more news from around the world of sports. So let's get to it. So we're back with the buddy Sean G. Sean, what's going on with you, man? You sound like you're running out of breath today. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm getting a good workout today. Uh, helping, uh, moving my parents across the country. So uh, a starting realization of how out of shape I actually am. But what can you do? What can you do? You got to help the parents when they need it, right? I mean, what can you do other than work out? I'm that's certainly it. not going to do that. That's it. I know that's right. I know that's right. Hey, so Sean, so the playoffs are here. Yes. You and I have had some great conversations. You know, we made our predictions. Um, one of the series that I think captured both of our, our minds and hearts was that Houston Rockets OKC series. Um, we actually held back from doing this podcast because we kind of wanted to see how that uh, series was going to pan out with, with Houston winning on an amazing block by James Harden. Um, what did that tell you about Houston? What did that tell you about OKC? What did that tell you about the rest of the playoffs? Well, I mean, the implications of a Houston win or a loss in that game were really huge. As it stands right now, you need to, I'm impressed with Houston's defense, their tenacity, um, and but I don't feel entirely optimistic. I mean, the Thunder are scrappers, but the Rockets coming into this season had the expectations of putting a team like the Thunder away in about four or five, and instead they were fighting for their absolute lives, so... From a Rockets fan's perspective, I feel panicked. I, I don't feel like the Lakers matchup is good at all, but I think if you're a Thunders, Thunder fan, you've got to feel great about the direction you're in, about the tenacity that team showed, about their sheer youth, and the fact that Chris Paul has shown more than enough that whether you trade him or not, he's going to have significant value for that franchise for the future. So. I wouldn't have told you that playoff series would have been exciting as we all as it turned out to be, but it might have been the highlight so far. You know, when you know everyone was going crazy thinking that OKC was going to beat Houston, I had OKC beating Houston, and the reason being is because I love what Sam Presti is doing with that team as far as accumulating a bunch of draft picks. Got a veteran who who kind of needed to rebuild his brand in Chris Paul, and I think he did a fantastic job. You, you see the, the emergence of LaQuince Dort, who I thought was a good player coming out of college, and his body style was is able to, to hold a James Harden back. You know, I also kind of was pulling for OKC because I felt and still feel that Houston kind of needs to follow that mode of what OKC did. Trade your two superstars and start over. I, I think that Houston has a heck of a lot in common right now with Philadelphia. Except Philadelphia stars are, you know, five to six years younger. So it's not as desperate a situation. 
But with Houston, you're finding yourself in a situation where you're pretty much locked into 55 wins, which is great. Like, without a doubt, I think half the league would kill for those numbers. But at the same time, you're just not getting over the hump. And I'm not sure there's enough workable pieces with that team that one or two minor fixes are, are going to are, are gonna fix it, as simple as that sounds. So you and I were talking that if the Thunder won that series, I think, frankly, you just blow it up. Now, obviously, depending what happens with the Lakers series, you can take a lot from it. I don't feel entirely optimistic about it, but I do think there needs to be a transition for the Rockets towards more of a youth movement and, frankly, probably towards more of a conventional basketball style because this this undersized run-and-gun thing is working to a point, but they're just getting absolutely bodied by bigs. And uh, we all could see it coming, but... I think the the truth is really nastier than uh, than any hypothetical was. You know, I think Anthony Davis, Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee, and even LeBron James are going to impose their will on that small ball. You know, P.J. Tucker is, is a great, fantastic defensive player. He can definitely hit that open jumper in the corner. But mm-hmm. he won't be able to, to handle those bigs. I mean, like, who's going to guard Dwight Howard? And not that Dwight Howard is the Orlando Dwight Howard, but when Anthony Davis is there as well and they're side by side, there's nobody that's going to be able to handle both of those guys at the same time. Well, it's troubling. I mean, Covington's going to have to work, have the, the series of his life even to keep this close. Yes. Uh, because I think the Rockets are ultimately going to have to double Davis down low or else just sacrifice about 30 and 15 per game. And when you have a team with LeBron and a bunch of spot-up shooters on it, and you're taking people off that perimeter to guard the interior, well, you know, you're you're just opening yourself up to a world of absolute hurt. It's just an absolutely terrible matchup. Uh, particularly given the fact that Westbrook continues to be a wild card, and now in addition to his already erratic play, you just don't know how healthy he's going to be. So it's simply a matter of all those role players on the Rockets, the Rockets just having to outwork the Lakers. Uh, Guys like Austin Rivers are going to have to try to get their shot off, best perimeter guys like uh, Danny Green, and it's just, and Alex Caruso, and, you're going to have to pick your poison with the Lakers. You either let Braun have his or Anthony Davis have his. And then you just hope that you can frankly outshoot him and outscore him. Uh, the thing about Westbrook and Harden to an extent, but more Westbrook. Westbrook is is very emotional, an emotional player. And if someone is going off, let's just say Danny Green hits two or three threes in a, more, in, in, you know, in a row. Westbrook is going to take that ball right back down on the def- on the offensive end and try to score every time. Like he takes it so personal as he should, but it kind of puts him in a state that, "Oh, you scored on me, let me unone up you as well." Same thing with Harden and and, and I kind of I have the Lakers pretty much winning that. I want to say 6, but I think it's going to go like 4-1 Lakers. What do you got? Yeah, I have a gentleman sweep. Yeah. I think what you just described about Westbrook is good in a player that can still has the athleticism he had a couple years ago, still has that drive, and frankly still has a consistent mid-range game that he never really developed. Because I think what you want to do if you're the Lakers is get Russell Westbrook angry. Because when he's angry, he's out of control. Yes. And we found a lot of teams are using it. Uh, The Heat are using this to perfection against Giannis, where if you get under a guy's skin and he can't hit those shots from outside, he has no choice but to drive and he doesn't look to kick. And when that happens, you just put up a wall against a guy like Westbrook and see what happens. And 
I don't think it's going to be a good thing. So I will give maybe five games. I think the Rockets have, can get hot. I think guys like Ben McElmore and Eric Gordon will get that heating touch because those dudes are just flat-out shooters. And I think eventually they will blow the Lakers away for maybe one game, but the Lakers will just just wear you down. You know, I mean, There's a reason LeBron James is LeBron James, and it's not by taking people like the Rockets for granted. We got, and we're going to get back on LeBron James in a minute about some beef that's currently going on. Um, so the other series in the West, Clippers-Denver. I think Denver you know, got a little tired in, in that Utah series and just to come back to play another game. They weren't, they weren't going to be able to compete in game one. I'm hoping that game two brings a little bit more competition, but the Clippers might just have them down. Um, I know in episode one of, of, uh, or one or two of the podcast, I also stated that I see a little tension between Michael Porter Jr. and, and, and Jokic. That could just be me, but I think Denver is just kind of, um, they ran out of gas. I don't know what you feel about that. Yeah, I mean, I think that that Jazz series took it out of them. Those teams were really well matched, and they went blow for blow for seven games. And I honestly think the first quarter of, uh, of yesterday's game where they just played the Clippers even is probably the high, wider, uh, high watermark for that team. And there's nothing, nothing to be ashamed about. I mean, these Clippers are just absolutely formidable. It's a bad matchup because Jamal Murray – is just going to find himself hounded by length. And uh, he can try to facilitate out to the perimeter, but what the Nuggets don't have is those uh, those nail-it-down shooters right now. They've got guys like Jokic who, who are incredibly talented. They've got guys like Gary Harris who can get hot, but they're just spotty. That's a team in transition that needs a little work, needs to get Millsap off of it and replace it with a little more depth. And they're just running into a Clippers buzzsaw because so... Um, I mean, if I had to make a prediction, I'd say about four games. And the best thing you can take of this from the Nuggets is how hard you guys try, despite this adversity, because it's quite the mountain to climb. You know, I think when you're throwing a Paul George, a Kawhi Leonard, a Pat Beverly at Jamal Murray on different occasions, it's going to frustrate him. You know, you got Zubats that can kind of put a body on Jokic, you know. So it, it's Gary Harris has to have the, the series of his life, but him coming back from, from the injury, I don't think he's going to be able to do that. Paul Millsap, um, once his money falls off the books, if he can come back at a smaller contract so that they can add some more depth, then maybe. But Millsap may may have just finished his his uh, career with Denver. And, and, and like you said, the Clippers have just too much to throw at those guys defensively. So I don't see a sweep, but I, but I do see 4-1 as well. I mean, I'll lay it out here. I think it's a sweep, and I don't think it's particularly close. I think Kawhi, Kawhi in the playoffs is a different animal. And even if guys like Morris aren't shooting as lights out, you've still got guys like Williams and Jeff Green who will who will just pick up the bulk of that scoring. It's 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 the worst possible matchup the Nuggets could have had. But frankly, either way you look at this, they're a team that's young. They've got a nice coach. They've got a young core. And you look at this with optimism. There's no shame in losing it to a team that was predicted as getting to the finals, if not winning it, and uh, showing what they did against the Jazz and showing that Jamal Murray might be ready to take that next step and form a really potent two-man game with Jokic is, is fantastic. So now you run it out against these Clippers, big guns, you try hard, and you see what they can do against Kawhi because you, you, you keep the game close, it's a win. You don't even have to win-win. Right. 
Did you see uh, the tweet? Uh, Rudy Gay started the tweet after the Denver beat Utah. And Rudy Gay's tweet was something in the line of, that should have been the Kings. And then, right. De- and then DeMarcus chimed in. And pretty much said, yeah. And then Isaiah Thomas chimed in, pretty much agreeing with that. Like, if Mike Malone was still in Sacramento, that very well could have been the Kings playing in that. I mean, absolutely. Uh, it just gets worse and worse the, the farther you look. Because, frankly, that Kings team, in terms of personnel, isn't altogether different than this Nuggets team. Right. And uh, the idea of those guys growing together under a coach like Malone, we saw it before Boogie went down with that injury. Yep. That team was coming to play, and it was coming to take souls. They were ready. This was, they, they were ready. Yep. Um, they were. They just needed the right guidance. They had tons of mediocre coaches, tons of limited depth, and that was a young core that was ready to go to work that got taken before its prime, and it's really a damn shame. So I don't see anything wrong with what Rudy and Boogie and Isaiah said, and uh, it's just one of those basketball what-ifs if they hadn't uh, been so impulsive. Oh, I mean, now you got you look at what Ben McLemore is doing as, as a vet now. It's kind of like, wow, that would have been nice as well on that Sacramento team, you know. What this will do is give everyone that Lakers-Clippers-Western Conference Finals, I think everyone will be looking forward to that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's going to be gorgeous basketball. It's going to be a ratings bonanza, and it's frankly what we all hoped for the minute it became clear that Kawhi did not want to team up with LeBron and those guys. Oh, yeah. We are hoping that one way or another he'd form his own path, and uh, while it isn't as uh, the easy way as Durant would have described it, I mean, uh, Kawhi did find himself with guys like Paul George and a great uh, cast of role players that are ready to take on the King. That's going to be truly great basketball and i honestly think i mean their competitors right now rockets and nuggets um i don't think those series will be particularly long so we're going to have some pretty well rested western conference juggernauts ready to trade blows definitely moving on to that eastern conference so that milwaukee now let's do boston toronto first that series should have been wrapped up but fred van vliet today said that Boston messed up by letting them get that win um, on the OG Ananobi three to win the game. What do you think about that? I mean, it's like a, it's like when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. You know, you've awakened the sleeping giant. Uh, once Walker made that beautiful bounce pass to Theus, that should have been it. Should have been the nail in the coffin for the Raptors, but just an absolute blown coverage. I honestly think they put Taco out there and expected the ball wouldn't get past him, but that was just a beautiful inbounds play right to Lowry, and OG, OG makes that shot in his sleep. I mean, there's a reason he didn't react to it, and uh, I'd be worried if I was the Celtics. I still think they're the better team. They were the better team for three games. They should have put the nail in, but the Raptors are, Kawhi or not, are the returning champions. They've got depth. They've got pieces. On paper, this was already a pretty even matchup, and the Celtics caught him flat-footed. But they they gave into some vulnerability there, and the Raptors will seize that momentum. I could very easily see this game, the the Raptors taking two, and then it's a whole new uh, it's a whole new series. So uh, that's going to be, in in retrospect, one of the most pivotal pivotal inbounds plays uh, we've seen in quite some time, because it really does alter uh, the station of that series. I'm, and and this podcast will be up before Game Four. So here's my prediction: Whoever wins Game Four wins the series. I think so too. 
Uh, I could barely e- easy, easily see that because yeah. I think the, if the Raptors win Game Four, that means they've got Lowry, Siakam, and Van Fleet, uh, Van Vliet, uh locked in again. And I think the reason the Celtics were able to bully up in on them is that those guys struggle. Siakam was not assertive enough, and he was finding himself in that land of giants around the rim with guys like Theus and Tatum and Brown and all that length. And I think Siakam has started to show signs, particularly in Game 3, that he's awakening. So should we find ourselves in an even series, that means that the Celtics have allowed the Raptors to get hot, and that's very, very troubling. You know, I think Brad Stevens is an excellent coach, and I don't throw that out a lot. I think he lost that game yesterday just by the defensive uh, zone that he put in and, you know, let OG, like you said, OG makes that shot in his sleep. And I think Brad Stevens overthunk it pretty much. Yeah, I think so, too. I think you're so busy thinking about about different matchups that you don't even think about the fact that you frankly shouldn't even deny the inbounds. Right. Just put a couple of guys on the perimeter, uh, a guy under the basket. Don't even have to dust off Taco, frankly, because I think that was too cute by far by right. Brad. Yes. I, I, I love Taco, but right now, until he gets a little more seasoning, he's pretty much just a sideshow act right there. Right. And uh, it's unfortunate because he's he's a basketball player. Yeah. He's you know he's not a novelty act, but putting him in with 0.4 seconds to go is a disservice to him and his teammates. And like you said, Stevens is such a big picture guy that Nick Nurse was just able to sneak it right under him and uh, let OG get that wide open look and just just change the series completely. Because if you saw the play right before he passed it, and first of all, excellent pass by Kyle Lowry to get it over Taco's arms. But when you saw a OG started underneath the court and he just, you know, just just shimmied over to the side, pretty much no one was paying attention to him. And and I think that that was a, a great call by Nick Nurse. And, you know, but it's looking forward to seeing game four in that series. I really am, too. It's It's been fantastic. It's a great matchup. I think it's going to be very, very close as all of these games have been. So, and then the last matchup. So, in our original prediction, I had Miami going to the Eastern Conference Finals. I want to say I had them going to the finals, beating the Philly Boston winner, but I can't, I got to go back and listen to it. But mm-hmm. is there trouble in Milwaukee? Oh, they're, they're in a world of trouble right now. Uh, they got the worst possible matchup at the worst possible time. Uh, this the, the the whole bubble thing did them absolutely no favors. Uh, they're getting absolutely nothing from the from the people that that truly matter on that team. Giannis is obviously the engine, but the fact that they're getting completely empty minutes from guys like uh, Connaughton and DJ Wilson and uh, and Dante just means that they're in a very very bad situation, and they found themselves fighting a team that's well coached has an absolute bulldog of a leader in Jimmy Butler. Mm-hmm. And I think they could very well find themselves going home two to three games sooner than they ever possibly could have imagined. Two to three game, or series, I mean, talking, two to three I game, series sooner. Sweep. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's a shame because I don't think this Bucks team was a fluke. Right. I think they're incredibly talented. And I think Giannis is taking a lot of hits. A lot of them deserved, but a lot of them undeserved, as we'll talk about soon. But they just caught themselves in the midst of a tidal wave of bad matchups and great shooting. We, we, we called it at the beginning of yeah, the series we did. that the Heat are elite perimeter guys, and that is the Bucks' main weakness. And the fact that the Bucks can no longer compensate 
for that weakness by letting the role players step up and are instead forced to have guys like Brooke Lopez become knockdown shooters and guys like Wes Matthews carry you. Well, four or five years ago, that's ideal. But those guys, their best years are behind them. They are depth on championships teams. They are not proper ones and twos. And Chris Middleton has not been consistent enough that you can rely on him to knock down those looks that Giannis is going to generate. And then you'll find yourself with the fact that you are getting swamped by these Heat. I have been truly impressed by how quickly the Heat get back on defense because the Bucks are finding themselves along the baseline pretty much any time they want, not taking these open looks when really they should. They're tentative because they're scared. And the minute they don't take that first look and try to pivot and, and get into the post, they are double teamed. And then you just open yourself to just uh, chaos. And the Heat are thriving off that chaos. They're young and they don't care. And they are just bullying the number one team out of the East right now. You, you said it right there. They're young and they don't care. You know, I, I take it. I, I, this bubble affected Milwaukee because of the home field advantage yes. that they had in, at the stadium. And this, this is just straight basketball with no one there. So let's just, we don't have any crowd noise. We don't have the, the crowd altering some of the, the calls and, and hyping up the players. So I think Milwaukee has really suffered the most from this bubble. And with that, the Giannis talk is going to start coming. And Yeah, you're, you're already seeing people take their shots like Richard Jefferson. That quote by Harden about him being the least skilled MVP of all time is already making its way around the Internet again. And uh, if this series goes the way it looks like it's going right now, Giannis is going to have a terrible offseason, which by proxy means the Bucks are because you've got the Raptors, the Mavericks, and the Heat just licking their lips waiting for that guy to hit free agency. You know, what I don't want to happen is what the Knicks did when they were trying to get Carmelo Anthony from Denver, you know, by trading Danilo Gallinari and those guys. I know Giannis has one year left. You let Giannis play out that you don't you don't trade a bunch of guys for Giannis just to deplete your roster. Like you said, Dallas with a with a, in, you know, Dallas doesn't want Tim Hardaway Jr. and Seth Curry. They want Chris Stops or Luca and they're not getting those. But Dallas with KP, Luka, and Giannis is scary. You know, Miami, you don't want to – the only way that you here, – here's what Miami, in my estimation, should do. I think they make a play for Embiid this offseason. And you give them Bam Adebayo and either Duncan Robinson or Tyler Hero, one of the two. You can't have both, Philly. Yes. And, 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 and a pick. And then you get Joel to Miami with Jimmy. And then you wait for Giannis the following season. You know, um, Toronto, all that they could give up that Milwaukee would want is Siakam. You know, there's yeah. nothing really else that Milwaukee would want. So I don't really see Giannis going to Toronto just replacing Siakam. I mean, I know it, it does make it Toronto better, but it really doesn't do anything for Milwaukee. But I know Milwaukee needs to get something. Um, I, mean, I mean, like you said, with the Bucks. What, you get picks and then you've given your best player to the Raptors and they're winning 60 games a season? <laughs> like like you said, there's there's a lot of finicky contracts right now. We'll know more about the Raptors come this offseason when Van Fleet and Gasol are free agents and see what Ujiri can do. But unless there's some tweaking along the edges and getting other people's picks, the only chance the Raptors, frankly, probably have with getting Giannis is Giannis simply demanding a trade and putting his foot down. So, like you said, I think the Heat and the Mavericks are probably the two worthiest contenders for him. 
And I really do fear, like you said, that this might force the Bucks into a really bad situation where they make a couple of Hail Mary trades and just find themselves back on the treadmill for the next 10 or so years with nothing to show for it. Now, a trade that could work for two teams. You can send Giannis to the Warriors for that Wiggins number two pick and maybe like an Eric Paso or something like that. You know, that helps them get some guys back. You know, you can kind of build your offense around still a young Andrew Wiggins. Just You would have that number two pick. Pasco can play the three, and, and that might be one of the only things. But if there's a team, because the Warriors are already there, they don't they have assets that they can still um, play with and still keep their, their Curry, Clay, and Draymond team intact. You know, but my prediction is Giannis will find his way to Miami with Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid in the next year. I, I think so, too. I'm not entirely sure about Joel because – I think we've got an off-season's worth of leaks going out uh, that'll come out about Jimmy Butler and Brett Brown and whatever happened in Philadelphia with those guys. And uh, my understanding is Jimmy and Joel were fairly close, but mm-hmm. I think there's more to be known. Right. But I think we talk about uh, Giannis's mentality, and I think working with Jimmy Butler would be maybe the best thing that could happen for him. Because uh, Jimmy plays with that same kind of edge, but with a lot of control. And if that can be passed on to him and that Pat Riley mentality can get through Giannis, that he doesn't have to have the world on his shoulders, he doesn't have to be Shaquille O'Neal on every single drive to the basket, Right. then that's going to be the best thing possible for his game. So if he ha- he may just have to leave Milwaukee to take that next step that I think you and I believe he can take. He can definitely take. Speaking of Giannis, Richard Jefferson made a nice little uh, observation about him and when I say nice I'm being very sarcastic when he said that Giannis is like Scottie Pippen who needs a Jordan and that was a slight to both Giannis and Scottie Pippen you know so he he double dipped on that one and then Scotty responded you know I'm not Giannis who's gonna win defensive player of the year and multiple MVPs but Giannis isn't me either and then he kind of questioned Richard Jefferson as, who are you? <laughs> and, and he said Scott Burrell, which was an excellent, excellent answer, excellent response. Then LeBron chimed in, you know, because uh, Jay Williams then kind of jumped on the bandwagon and said LeBron was Scottie Pippen to Dwayne Wade's Jordan in Miami. So what do you think about Richard Jefferson and Jay Williams and those interpretations of what they were saying? I mean, why has the name Scottie Pippen simply evolved to mean the Robin to somebody's Batman? Like, what, what are we doing here? What, what was the point? Under, I kind of understand why it's an easy metaphor to make, but do we forget that Scottie Pippen was basically a blown call away from taking uh, that Bulls team without Jordan? Right. Probably into the finals. Right. And arguably winning a fourth championship in a row. Right. Scottie Pippen proved himself that he was nobody's Robin. Right. He was 1A to Jordan's 1B. And the fact that Jordan is the greatest basketball player that's ever lived, there is no shame in being the 1B to that man. It's it's kind of like saying Clay Thompson, dissing Clay Thompson because of st- shooting ability to Steph Curry's. It's like exactly. you can't do oh, that. So instead of being the one of the, the best shooter of all time, you're just in the top seven. Like, <laughs> Right. What, what are we doing here? What are like, we doing here? I think Jay Williams... Wants to kind of stay relevant. He's on. He stays on the Kevin Durant bandwagon, and and with that, whatever he's doing, it's kind of to promote Kevin Durant because that's his buddy, 
you know, and I think he tried to take jabs at a LeBron or those type of guys just because, in a way, it hypes his guy. You know what I mean? I mean, I feel bad for Jay Williams because he's a guy that was an elite competitor, played for a blue blood at Duke, showed out his freshman year, I mean, his rookie year of the Bulls, right. and could have completely changed the, the status of that franchise. And then a freak accident, a literal freak accident, took all that away. Kind of reminds me. Athleticism way took it took ball away from him. So what do you have left for him to get his competitive nature out? Exactly. Well, he joins the media. He's not bad at all at it, but he does kind of lend himself towards becoming a hot take artist. Right. And if that's how he gets his competitive juices going, then then God bless. But he puts himself out there, and then he finds himself retreating when people just keep slapping him down. Right. Right. You know, and I respect that he's got friends and he's got ratings to get and all that. And he makes good points more often than not. But he's wading into territory where we're ready to make these declarative statements about Giannis. When the dude just turned 25, (laughs) is back-to-back MVPs, the defensive play of the year. And frankly, is a jump shot away from arguably being one of the top 10 five players of all time. Definitely. Let's not draw any lines in the sands here. Definitely, definitely. I we think are in transition. I I I definitely agree. I, I I thought that Jay Williams chiming in just to kind of stay relevant, you know, um, was was kind I'm of cool. I'm always I'm all about Scott Burrell still still getting his. You know? <laughs> whether whether he's a, a, maybe it's a UConn fan in, in my heart. Or right. The the old Bulls fan, but. Scott Perrell was no slouch on the basketball. No, he wasn't. He did, he did he his thing. Hide, but he had some good years. He can have opinions, and I kind of respect him. Uh, going from one Twitter account to another, posting up and trying to dunk on people. Like, it's fun. It's, it's all in good fun. It's all in good fun. It's all in good fun. Um, another thing that took place, speaking of Jay Williams' best friend, Steve Nash was hired as the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. I think that... That was an awesome. I think Steve Nash is going to do great. First of all, obviously he built a rapport with KD while he was a consultant with Golden State, and I know a lot of folks, the Stephen A. Smiths of the world, and and the promotion of the black coach, and I get all of that. And but at the same time, KD and Kyrie had to sign off on it. So yes. if if best believe if they wanted Mark Jackson or or someone else, Nate McMillan, they would have got Mark Jackson or Nate McMillan. They got who they wanted, and I think that Steve Nash is going to kind of be in that same Steve Kerr mode, and they're going to take those stars from one level to another. I think you're absolutely right. I the, the hire took me completely by surprise, as it took many, but I think it makes perfect sense. For one, you like you like you said. There's that pre-existing relationship with Durant from Golden State. Uh, the hire doesn't get made with personalities like Kyrie and Durant signing off on it. So if there was room for Mark Jackson or Derek Fisher or even Tyron Lue, it would have been made. The simple fact of the matter is Durant and Kyrie are are a lot more basketball savvy than we give them credit for. Right. <laughs> they're student. They're students of the game. And they recognize that there was probably no greater student of the game than Steve Nash. Definitely. Steve Nash was a guy who who entered into into the league from Santa Clara. Yeah. Pretty well sized, but a little flabby. Mm-hmm. He found himself on a Mavericks team that had absolutely no history to uh, to it other than being a laughing stock. 
he found himself with a young owner like Mark Cuban, a young guy like Dirk Nowitzki that everybody said was going to be soft, and instead he found himself forming one of the greatest one-two tandems that the game's ever seen. And after that, the dude just kept innovating. And then D'Antoni got his hands on him, and the rest is history. Mark Cuban still says that's one of his worst moves, not re-signing Steve Nash. It's completely altered altered the history of the game. Yes. The fact is, if Nash doesn't go to Dallas, doesn't go to Phoenix, excuse me, then the Mike D'Antoni run and gun system never happens. The seven seconds or less offense is the precursor to the pace and space offense that we've seen guys like Kerr implement and has become what the league has become. And Nash is well aware of those teams' shortcomings, which is really encouraging to me. He sat down more, more often than not with guys like Bill Simmons and has been very analytical about his game. He's a very thoughtful person, and he says things like, if I had known what I know now, I would have shot 10 to 15 threes a game. Right. Because I had that ability in me. So everybody who's saying, oh, it's just going to be your basic pick and roll between Kyrie and Durant, it's old basketball. No, it's not. No, it's not. Steve Nash is a forward thinker. Yes. He, he has been around the best minds in the game, and he has shaped himself into this incredible offensive weapon. And I'd want nothing more than my guys, my elites, my Durants, my Kyrie's, and then my role players. Mm-hmm. This will shake up depending on how the Nets go about trying to get a third star. But guys like Levert, like Joe Harris, like Spencer Dinwiddie, yep. there was nothing more than I want those guys than to be in a gym with Steve Nash uh, six times a week. I think He's that brilliant. I think that Nash is going to make Karis Levert, Spencer Dinwiddie, and Jared Allen household names. You know, with Kyrie and KD. And I, I'm so looking forward to that. I'm also happy that Sean Marks kept Jacques Vaughn on staff because he did a great yeah, job. Great idea. Great idea. Jacques Vaughn has the respect of those guys. Definitely. You could tell by how they played for him. Definitely. And um, I think, I just want to talk about this real quick. Yep. I think we're being incredibly lazy with the Jason Kidd comparisons. Yes. Um, they're completely different people. Mm-hmm. completely different ball players. Mm-hmm. The only thing that they've got in common is that they were tremendous floor generals and top tens in their position, but their playing styles were different. Their personalities are different. There's a little more grit to Jason Kidd, a little more of a chip on his shoulder. And Steve Nash is, is a little bit of a deeper thinking. I'm not calling Jason Kidd an idiot, but I'm thinking Steve Nash is the type of guy who looks a little deeper, who sees himself as a bit of a flabby guy who's just getting bodied from the inside every time he drives and decides, I'm not going to get stronger. I'm going to get more agile. I'm going to get myself into a soccer player's body, and I'm going to be the most live, gentle dude on the court. That's the type of person who can transform other people. And uh, I would be very optimistic right now if I'm the Nets because there's arguably not a better hire they could have made. There's not a better hire they could have made. I think that... So I kind of when we were talking about Houston a little earlier, um, I think that they can kind of make changes as well, you know, from from like the OKC route and, and just switching subjects just a little bit. I think a team like Houston, like let's just say Houston Rockets, let's just say t- uh, for T to call me and say, hey, I want you to be my GM for the Rockets. What would you do with this team? Right. I would trade Russell Westbrook. To Chicago, first of all. And I would I would ask back Zach Levine, Markinen, 
and maybe that number four pick. Now, that might be a lot, but it might not be because now in Chicago, Westbrook, you can have your way with, with Wendell Carter and Otto Porter and, and Kobe White. And, and I would then I would send James Harden away to probably uh, Charlotte. And I would get youth. Oh, yeah. I would get youth from there. I would probably have to take Nick Batum's contract back because that's he's going to opt in. Yeah, right. definitely. That number three pick and one of those youngsters. I like Bridges more than I like Washington. Doesn't mean I don't like Washington though. I just like Bridges a little bit more. But I think a Houston team needs to reshoot. And I, I think a Milwaukee team needs to start over if Giannis is to leave. And and you just you, it's almost like a, a, what you're doing, selling the house and moving cross country. Uh, exactly. I wish I was being paid uh, like those guys are, but, but certainly. Um, yeah, it's going to be – we'll obviously know a bit more when these series end about what teams need to do to shake things up because I tend to be a little more reserved, a little more conservative when it comes to blowing things up. Mm. But I think what we found, particularly in Houston, is that there's only so much you can do with the same group of guys. Right. Uh, there's only so many mountains you can climb. There's only so many tweaking around Harden that you can do. Because there has been four to five different iterations of this Harden team right? already. We forget about Lynn and Ashik. We forget about Dwight Howard. Right. We don't forget about Chris Paul because we have a pretty stark reminder of just how good that dude was last week. Right. And then you have a Hail Mary trade for Westbrook that is just absolutely blown up in Daryl Morey's face. Yes. And I think Daryl Morey is truly one of the most forward-thinking GMs in the league. I think his trades, and there are so many of them, have more often than not simply benefited the team and been great. But I also think a little bit goes a long way. And eventually you're just trying to fit a James Harden peg into a round hole. Exactly. And you have discovered a system that will win you ball games, but will... But I think right now what the Bulls are going to do is try to tweak around the edges, get Thaddeus Young out, out of there, yeah. get Santoransky out of there, yeah. and let those guys play play out a year healthy. Because right now that core of Levine, Markinen, Wendell Carter have played about 25, 30 games together, and it's, it's, you've learned, we've learned nothing from it. And I think right now they're pretty sunk assets. I think forward-thinking GMs will probably try to gamble on a guy like Markkanen, and I think you could absolutely steal Markkanen right now. You can. But but I don't think the Bulls want that. I don't think they want to find themselves in that situation like they are with Jimmy Butler, where they gave up on a guy two to three years too soon. Because Markkanen was the best shooter in that draft, and I'm talking out of anybody. Oh, yeah. Any, any shooting guard, any, any 3 and D wing. Malkinen was the best unequivocal shooter out of that draft. And he had a stretch in his rookie season that proved that translate. And then he had a, a crap head coach for about two years that ran him into the ground. So I think the Bulls have learned nothing right now. And the worst thing they could do is gamble on a guy like Westbrook who's going to sell tickets and jerseys, but maybe not give you that eye, uh, that eye towards the future that that team needs. Because it's no longer about tweaking the edges in the 2021 plan for the Bulls. you got about three years to prove that you haven't wasted four to five draft picks, and you got to hope you've got a young core. And right now, you know nothing. Definitely. I, I like those head coaches that you mentioned. I see Ty Lue going to New Orleans just because of the, the history with, with uh, David Griffin. 
um, and having the opportunity to to manage and coach a superstar. Um, I thought about Mike Brown, but I think Ty Lue is a little bit more sexy in New Orleans. Um, because I, I think so, too. Yeah. I think we take guys like Mike Brown and even Mike Woodson for granted. Mm-hmm. I think we've, we've pigeoned him, them into these boring, you know, defensive first, uh, defensive, you know, uh, guys who... who guys who won't get you very far but what those guys did with teams like the Cavaliers and the Knicks right. was win ball games yeah and, and that's what you re- need right now with a team that young you just need to prove that you can win and develop I think and Mike so, Whitson found his way back to New York under Tibbs yeah and, yeah. It, and you know what it's going to be great it's going to be great you know so I'm, I'm a huge football fan as well and and I'm, I'm a Raiders fan and we had a coach named Hugh Jackson Hugh Jackson, and I apply this to any coach, you can be a great coordinator, doesn't make you a great coach. And that's what I get with the Mike Woodson's of the world. Not saying that he's a terrible coach, but as a, keep smart, as a great coordinator, know your lane. I know everyone wants to ascend to head coaching jobs and all this other type of stuff, but be great and master what you're going to be great at. Doesn't make you great at something else. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, Houston being 50-win team, which is awesome. I, I liken it to Detroit Lions and Matthew Stafford. You know, why pay a guy $100 million to go 4-12? and 12? I can go 4-12 and 12 with this guy playing quarterback. I don't need to pay someone $100 million to go 4-12. and 12. You know, just like I don't need to be if – if, if I have these teams that are just winning 30 games a year and, and, my, and my salary cap is, is – pretty much getting to the to the tax it's time to blow it up because getting a 10th seed makes no difference to me I'm, i can lose with with young talent just as well as i can lose with guys making 30 million dollars a year <laughs> i mean i mean precisely it's just a matter of being smart about it if you're if any team should believe their general manager is capable of doing multiple things supplementing a winning roster and tearing down a winning roster and if you and I think the Rockets probably have that guy right now. I think unfortunately Maury will likely lose his job if they lose to the Lakers, and mm-hmm. then you just kind of hope that they can identify a guy who can also take these pieces and make them work. Um, but there's something to be said about knowing when to just fold your cards, right. particularly in the West where you've got about 11 teams constantly burgeoning year after year, and so. There's, like we said, like we keep harping on, there's no no shame in knowing when to just call it. Hey, Kenny Rogers said, you got to know when to fold them. You got to know when to walk away. You got to know when to run. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the G League has, has a new team, the G League Ignite, which is the top high school prospects coming to play for Brian Shaw in nearby. I'm in nearby Walnut Creek, California. I am so looking forward to this team and what the NBA is doing with this G League team, providing opportunity for these high school guys to bypass college to go to the G League. What do you think about that? I'm, I'm extremely excited about it, too. I think it's one of the most forward-thinking things the NBA has done in years. Um, I'm excited that if we're not going to find a way to truly work around the one-and-done rule, that we're going to give these kids a chance because school is not meant for everybody, mm-hmm. particularly these elite athletes, and forcing them to go to a blue blood. I mean, 
I mean, I think work, uh, playing for a guy like Krzyzewski or Roy Williams for a year is great, and I don't think most of those guys are traded for the world, but forcing yourself to go to class is no fun, is not fun for everybody. It's not the best thing for people. And seeing guys like, like Green and Soto getting the chance to just play ball for a guy like Brian Shaw, who was just five or six years ago one of the most promising NBA head coaching candidates there was, a guy who sat at the the seat, sat at the feet of Phil Jackson, is going to do really wonders for these guys, and I think actually help improve the talent pool for the league, just in general. Having a truly definitive supplemental minor league system, like they do in baseball, mm-hmm. is going to be really great. I think for these teams that are like the 12 and 16 seeds. Right. Letting guys go up and down and get their run. Letting prospects like guys like Bull Bull go and face off against truly elite talent instead of guys like, you know, Blake Ahern or uh, Ron (laughs) Howard who are like 32-year-old sharpshooters who are what we call quadruple A prospects in baseball. (laughs) Having a young feeder system of guys that are kind of like a new AAU system. Right. But just taking the next level with great coach, great coaches. And you know what? We should talk about a guy, Pete Youngman. Yes, I was just going to mention that. Yes. One of the nicest guys in in the NBA. I love Pete. And one of the truly forward-thinking athletic trainers in the league. Mm -hmm. A guy who got let go at a bad time. And I think guys in Sacramento like Harry Giles could have – could have used a Definitely. like Pete Youngman. Definitely. And I think having Pete Youngman help help those kids get right, get their bodies right, become these NBA prospects is going to is going to be one of the most underrated aspects of what the G League is doing. So I'm truly, truly excited for this and I think it's only gonna benefit making the game take the next logical step forward. You know, we you, you and I have some history of Pete up in Sacramento. You know, Pete is I've always thought Pete was on that Phoenix Suns training staff hype, yes. you know, just as great as I mean, I don't know if any team is better than that team in, as far as the training staff. But Pete knows how to get bodies and minds right. And Pete taking his time with these young 17 and 18 year olds, he's he's going to implement something in their heads that's going to stick with them their entire career. I mean, what was the what was the reason that we abandoned this one and done role? Rule, depending on how cynical you are outside, right. outside of thinking that the NCAA is a corrupt institution, was the fact that we found ourselves having guys like Kwame Brown and even Jermaine O'Neal, who eventually worked himself into NBA shape, mm-hmm. who are just the uh, Eddie Curry, you know, right. Tyson Chandler before right. he got right, right, who were not adult men. Right. Zach and Randolph. Playing adult men. Yeah. They were getting just bodied. Yeah. And it was because we didn't have a way of getting them into the right training programs. And the sooner that you can get these 16, 17, 8 year old guys into the right eating regimen, right. regimen, the right strength regimen, the right training regimen, the sooner that you have the next crop of guys ready to be burgeoning NBA superstars. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't abuse Kwame Brown, but I would <laughs> I would <laughs> Right, right. But if I look at yeah. if I look at someone like Zach Randolph, 
Yes, you yes, know the next Magic Randolph we called him. Exactly. And then his first couple years in Portland didn't go well. But once he got to Memphis and in a different environment, and, you know, it was amazing. You know, Tyson Chandler, you know, when he started off in Chicago, it, it I didn't think he was, oh, he's going to be in the league for two years and going to be done. You know, but he's a 20, he's almost a 20-year vet now. Just kind of getting people, getting your mind right is is key to these young guys to have some some longevity in this league because these are grown men who have families to support. They don't have time to wait for these kids to catch up. So this G League Ignite team, I think that Jalen Green and uh, Jonathan Kaminga, Knicks and Soto, Todd, they're going to love Pete Youngman. They're going to love coming to, to learn from Brian Shaw every day. I'm looking so forward to that team. I mean, yeah, I, I feel somewhat bad for the guys like the R.J. Hampson, Hamptons, the Terrence Fergusons, the Basleys, who right. are maybe about one and a half years a little too late. Yeah. And I hope that they can catch up. Because sending a guy overseas to play against grown men like what happened to LaMelo Ball, mm-hmm. I think it's good for some people and bad for some people. It worked for Brandon Jennings. I think it truly worked for Josh Childress, even though he didn't end up being an NBA superstar. Right. But I think for a lot of these guys, it's just too much too soon. So let's not, you know, let's not run the point into the down. But the fact that, that these guys are going to get get right mentally and physically two to three years sooner than guy in years past is nothing but good things for the rest of the league. You know, when I think about a R.J. Hampton, I think that this route going, if he would have, instead of going to to overseas and going into this G League team. LaMelo Ball, LaMelo Ball, that's a different story because it's just different. I just put him in his own category, and I think he's going to be a star. I think the Knicks need to get him, and I think he's going to be a star. But R.J. Hampton could have definitely um, um, worked in this type of system. I would love to see, like you said, a bowl bowl or one of those kind of guys when they're playing. I don't know if Denver even has a G League team, but when they play, uh, I don't think they do. I would like to see them, him getting some run against these guys, and that's what this this G League night team. I think it's it's perfect. I think Adam Silver once again hit a home run. I'm so looking forward to that. Yeah, I think beyond just the G League Ignite team, the fact that we are expanding it to include a team from Mexico. Yes. Maybe, hopefully, some more Canadian teams eventually. I don't think it'll be incredibly feasible to see if we can get more teams out of Europe, but if anybody can do it, I believe it's Adam Silver and his League of Owners and guys like um, Masai who are truly thinking of basketball beyond borders. Yeah. The more we can expand the league, find these young and -and up-and-coming guys and put them into a regimented system, we're going to take basketball to its next level. You know, that league in Africa, I know COVID kind of stopped that, but that league in Africa, I think is going to be astounding. I think the G League should expand to maybe back to Vancouver once Seattle gets its team um, and yes. make Vancouver its its kind of parent, or its G League team, the Mexico team, like you said. And then with, with NBA Africa, then you kind of get back over to Europe and maybe do like 10 teams over there and, and kind of have its own little court. And, the NBA can control the sports. It can it can be I don't know if it'll ever be as big as soccer slash football, but <laughs> I think it takes over regular football and I think it kind of jumps baseball as well as the American pastime coming soon. Exactly. What do you need to play basketball if you're a young kid? Whether you're in the projects, yeah. whether you're in the suburbs, whether you're anywhere. Yeah. You need a basket. It yeah. doesn't even have to be a, a basketball basket. Nope. It can be a box with a hole in it. Yeah. You need a stick. A milk crate. And you need a ball. 
you need a milk crate. Yeah. That's what you have in, uh, have overseas with with soccer. Yeah. That's what you found. That that's what football, American football, has run into the fact that you can't give a guy's pads, you can't give a guy's the proper equipment, you can't give them those kinds of goalposts. You you can't make that feeder system work as nicely as you want, and that's why NFL Europe has failed. Yep. That's why really the XFL has kind of failed yep. too, despite that not being an equipment issue. Yeah. But I think the more forward thinking you have for the NBA, the more international get, the more the game improves, the more Luka Doncic's we can get over here. Oh yeah. The sooner the better. Oh yeah. Let's do it. Because if you put a league over in Europe and there's a Luca at 16 that wants to play but can't come to the league, he's just going to play there, which is awesome. Basketball is one of the only sports that you can play by yourself. Yeah, well, I mean, we need to make it possible for these guys to get minutes. Yes. And we're finding ourselves projecting uh, projecting things into, for instance, the guy we both think is going to go number four right now, Denny Avicia. Mm-hmm. Avicia. We're finding ourselves trying to project minutes and qualities into him when he's playing 15 minutes in uh, in an Israeli league beyond guys that are about 32, 33, or right. 33 years old because he has a coach that just wants to win basketball games. Right. And there's no shame in that. Nope. If we can find a league for these young guys that can play against other young guys with the level of competition that we've all come to expect for FIBA-like competitions – then we're going to find ourselves with the kind of product in the NBA that we've dreamt about since we had guys like Dirk come in 15 years ago. Right. A truly international, innovative league that's going to give us the best basketball we could ever hope for. Sean, like I always say, you make me sound good. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you. There's just so much to talk about. I, I know. It's been a true pleasure. It, it, hey, I know you got to get back to hearing. I, I can hear your, your dad calling you now. Sean! <laughs> Get back out here! Crying, I got a baby crying somewhere. It's not even mine. Exactly, exactly. Hey, after these next couple games, man, we're gonna do this again next week, and and we'll catch back up on it. And and and, Sean, I appreciate you so much, man. Absolutely. You take care. You too. Thanks again for Sean Gantworker coming in, spending some time with me. Our texts are like this all day, every day, and and this podcast is allowing us to kind of um, get this out. Make sure you follow uh, the podcast on Instagram, Front Office GM on Instagram. Check us out. Um, also, so I, I, in my time in Sacramento, I got pretty close with the Evans family, Tyreek Evans and, and his brothers, and so I I, I talk to them frequently trying to get Tyreek on the, the podcast to, to talk about the things that he's gone through over the last couple years. Um, but in talking to Doc, his brother, Doc, um, his son, is an is a aspiring hip-hop, hip-hop artist. And um, Doc's going to come on um, soon and, and talk to us just about life and, and sports as well because he's, he, he's very first on sports, not just because he's Tyreek's brother, but because he, you know how them, them East Coast folks are. They, they, they know sports. He's a big-time Eagles fan, so he's probably still um, um, relishing on that Super Bowl win from, the, you know, the Philly special. Um, but I wanted to you guys to listen to uh, his son Jake Daniel um, song, and I, I want to play it because I like it. It's called Feeling Like a Star. Check it out.
again doc for sending that music y'all can follow jake at i am jake daniel thanks again for listening to another episode of the front office podcast we're gonna see y'all soon stay safe y'all listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.